Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom, with a message entitled, A King Without Honor. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 to 58, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I very recently had what I would call a fascinating conversation. You know, a woman approached me in a coffee shop and asked if I was a pastor. <laughs> you know, I had to ask, do I look that way? And I, I guess I do, but, but I'm not sure even now what that means. But she wanted to talk to me about her spiritual journey. She was a stranger. It was really fascinating. But she opened up in a second. She told me she used to be a Christian and was looking for a way to get back to where she once was. But I wanted to know, in her words, why she had left the Christian faith. Well, she told me that she had become involved in a dog shelter, and that had led her away. Well, I wasn't sure what she was saying, and so I asked her to explain. Well, she told me that the suffering of some animals made her question God. I just didn't have the heart to tell her that there are a great many human beings that suffer more than those animals and who would have thought it to step up in the world if they could have stayed in, in one of her shelters. But I, but I thought that was more than she was able to bear. Eventually, she told me of her disappointment with God, and in no time at all, she defined the kind of relationship she had with God. For her, the Christian faith was about the things she needed to do, the, the rules she needed to keep. But then God had not kept his side of the bargain. She had come through for God, but he hadn't come through for her. And when she needed the church the most, it wasn't there for her. And we talked about disappointments we sometimes feel in the church, but as we did, I kept pressing her to explain the kind of relationship she once thought she had with God. I asked her if she thought she was a sinner. Well, she looked shocked and she said, of course not. Well, I told her that, that I was a terrible sinner. And she now looked double shocked, and, and by the look on her face, I wondered whether she was thinking, what kind of terrible things might this pastor have done? Or, or maybe she was just thinking I needed a better self-esteem. It was very hard for me to judge her reaction at that point in time. But one thing was sure. She was shocked to hear me say that I was a sinner. Well, I told her that Christ died on the cross to save sinners. I also told her that the word salvation implied that, that we had broken God's law and that we could do absolutely nothing to save ourselves. We're helpless, I said. We need to be saved from our sins, and our sins are our crimes against God. Well, she repeated that she was definitely not a sinner, but she was a basically good person. Her disappointment with God, the reason she said she left the faith, is that she had done her best, but that God had let her down. Also, I asked her that when we began the conversation that she had said she, she wanted to get back to the place where she had once been spiritually. And I now had to ask her why. I mean, if it didn't work then, I mean, why would she think it would work now? I then told her that unless she approached God on bended knee with a, with a truly repentant heart, there was no access to God at all. I mean, Christianity wasn't made for good people. It was made for sinners like me, I said. Well, it was a polite conversation, but that's pretty much where we left it. Me, a person who needed a savior, and she, looking for a transactional relationship with God where she did her part and he did his. All of that made me think again about Matthew 11 to 13 and the section about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, in his amazing portrait of Jesus, portrays Jesus preaching and his miracles. And Jesus calls his disciples and then he warns them that suffering awaits them. And then in chapters 11 to 13, the middle of the book, a kind of transition in the book, 
You know, from chapter 14 and on, if we study the book of Matthew carefully, Matthew's narrative of the ministry of Jesus begins to take on a more chronological, sequential form. I mean, what do I mean? Well, up to now, if we compare the book of Matthew with the books of Mark and Luke, we find out that that Matthew presents his material out of sequence, that is, with the other two books. And we've been noting that Matthew is not sequential, but topical. He's arranged the life and the ministry of Jesus in topical order. And as we've noticed, Matthew is doing that for a very important reason. He is, with a great deal of care, showing us that Jesus really is the long-awaited Messiah. He wants us to examine all the evidence in categories and, and to see if it's really true that the kingdom of heaven has broken into the present hour. But then Matthew next wants us to see that along with all the miracles that Jesus did, are also the people who had doubts and some who utterly rejected Jesus. But in response to those doubts, Matthew presents us with a series of parables that Jesus has told us. And those parables really do indicate that the kingdom of heaven has in fact arrived, but it's done so in a peculiar manner. First, it was just like the illustration of the conversation that I had with the woman who assumed that she had been a Christian, but never understood from the outset what Jesus was all about. You see, just like the parable of the sower who went out to sow, this woman was the hardened soil. She didn't understand the message from the outset, and in no time, the birds of the air or the evil one came and snatched away the seed that was sown. Yep, the kingdom has come, but it will not be universally accepted. Some will completely misunderstand, and some will welcome Jesus but never love the kingdom of heaven more than their continued love for this world. The response to the kingdom will, says Jesus, not be universal. It will be a genuinely mixed bag. And that's what we see today. Christ is good news to all who welcome him, but not all welcome him. He really is the treasure hidden in the field for which you would be crazy not to sell everything you have and follow him. Look, he can forgive sins. He can offer you eternal life. He promises you that the evil one won't be able to harm you, and he gives you an undying hope that even death won't eclipse. He will bless you. He will give you a new heart and make you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. To reject such an offer, it's it's sheer madness. It's like finding a treasure in a field that is worth more than everything that you have or can imagine, and then simply walking away and leaving it all lie just there. Who would do that except that, well, Some might not understand the value of the treasure, and some, as crazy as this sounds, would say, no, no, I actually prefer my life as it is, fraught with hopelessness and fears and the upcoming dead end at the end of the road. (laughs) And then Jesus explained more. In this present hour, the kingdom of heaven will not result in the destruction of the wicked, at least not yet. Jesus commands his followers not to persecute those who resist his kingdom. Let those who resist and those who oppose Jesus remain unhindered until the end of the age. And so what's the kingdom like in the present hour? Well, the kingdom of heaven offers the life of God right here and right now. And that's important for all of us to hear. You know, John in John 5, 24 records this promise of Jesus. Jesus is speaking and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And listen, that's still the offer that Christ makes today. He's brought the end times kingdom of heaven right here into the present hour. 
You can have the life of God right now. The life of eternity is found now in this world through Christ. All you have to do is repent of your sins and entrust your life into Christ's hands, and you already, right now, cross over from death into life. You have it now. It's a treasure hidden in a field. But, and this is the key to understand this present hour, that eternal life is happening long before the reign of death and evil and satanic activity is brought to an end. That is, the life and the death is happening simultaneously. See, when you come to Christ, bad things won't stop happening. There's an overlap right now of two ages. This is the nature of the times in which we now live. Suffering and death, along with sin and rejection of the Messiah, well, they all happen even while the kingdom of heaven has tumbled into the present hour. But that doesn't mean the kingdom will always be like this. The end of the age is coming when, in Jesus' own words, and here I'm quoting Matthew 13, 41, when the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Oh, I hope you see this. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, some Bible teachers say it means that the kingdom of heaven has been inaugurated, but not yet consummated. And that's right, but that's really the language of theologians. I like to think of it this way. Have you ever gone to a concert and you've come a lot early, and to your surprise, the musicians are already on stage, and they're playing some of the most amazing music? Well, that's a foretaste to what a lovely thing is coming when the concert officially begins. And that's what has happened. The kingdom of heaven has already come. The music is playing right now, but the full concert is yet to come. So what are we to do? Well, Jesus made it clear. In the present hour, be like leaven. Be like the mustard seed. Fill the earth with the message of Jesus. Tell people the music has already started to play, which can only mean that the concert will soon start. April 28th to May 6th, 2019, we invite you to join Back to the Bible Canada on our 2019 Israel Experience with Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, and special worship and musical artist John Buller, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Touch, see, and experience the journeys of Paul and David and walk where Jesus walked. This will be a unique, intimate experience of Israel like no other. But time is running short and the guest list is near full. So if you've been planning on visiting Israel and seeing so many of the sites of the Bible, register today by calling 1-800-663-2425 or visiting backtothebible.ca. And special note, we'll also be offering an optional and exclusive tour of Jordan immediately following the Israel experience accompanied by Dr. Neufeld. So call today and avoid any disappointment at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. When we come to the end of Matthew 13 and then go beyond that, you know, the observant reader will notice that from the end of chapter 13 to the end of the book, Matthew will move from presenting his material in a more topical fashion 
to now presenting the life of Jesus chronologically, sequentially, simply letting the events now play themselves out. Now, Matthew does that because once he has presented Jesus as the Messiah and the one who is ushered in the kingdom of heaven, Matthew now simply allows the story to play itself out until we come to the cross and the resurrection. In short, from now on, Matthew's accounting of the life and ministry of Jesus will follow the sequence of events that we find in Luke and in Mark actually quite closely. That's because Matthew wants us to understand that in the present hour, the kingdom of heaven will necessitate the coming of his cross and the resurrection. But before he does that, Matthew has few more things to bring to our attention. I'm now reading Matthew 13:51 to 52. Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, it's very tempting to smile at this point in time. Well, that's because it's still clear that the disciples should not have said that they, that they understand these things. It's because they're filled with misunderstandings. And when we get to Matthew 16, Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. He tells them that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Well, then Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. He says, this will never happen. There is in their mind still the idea that Jesus will go to Jerusalem to be enthroned and to immediately bring evil to an end. So it seems to us, therefore, that they, they don't understand all these things. But before we so quickly dismiss the, the disciples' answer to Jesus, please remember that they don't know how long the present era will last. I mean, perhaps this overlap of the two ages, perhaps this unique moment when the kingdom of God comes but evil is allowed to remain, perhaps this will only last a few months rather than, you know, 2,000 years and more. And so Jesus doesn't snicker at their answer. He simply tells them one more parable. And, and I got to confess here, this really is a difficult parable to understand. You know, so for instance, did Jesus mean that in the present hour, the kingdom of God would have scribes? You see, some, strangely enough, have interpreted him exactly that way. And of course, there have been scribes that have copied and recopied the New Testament. So is Jesus simply telling his disciples that his church will have to have scribes? Well, no, that's not the point. But comparing the work of his disciples to scribes does make an excellent point. See, when most of us think of scribes, well, we think of those people who were given the task of producing new copies of the Bible. See, long before the printed press was invented, the only way to get an additional copy of any written piece of work was to get someone to copy it by hand, carefully, painstakingly, good handwriting, making sure it contained no errors. I mean, scribes were essential to passing on knowledge and the faith to the next generation. But in ancient Israel, scribes did more than simply copy Scripture. They also taught Scripture. That's because, you know, if you spend your lifetime with the text of Scripture, you become quite familiar with it. And so scribes became teachers of the law. They were thought of as men who had the wisdom of God. And they were men who had authority. They were men, if you asked them, could give you an accurate and thoughtful understanding both of the law and of the application of the law. Now, when Jesus says that anyone who is properly trained for the kingdom is like a scribe, well, he meant that those who had been instructed in the nature of the kingdom of heaven are like scribes because they're able to explain the kingdom of heaven to anyone who doesn't understand it. If God is love, why does evil still exist? If people saved by Jesus still suffer, why is that? 
What is the kingdom of God? How does one enter into the kingdom of God? What is meant by abiding in Christ? How is the life of the kingdom lived? How are we saved? See, the followers of Jesus, who once they have been fully trained, are like scribes. They will know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But then, says Jesus, they're also like the master of a large and palatial house. See, the house is full of amazing treasures. Some things, well, they're old and some things are new. And Jesus means, that is, if I think I hear him rightly, he means that his disciples are going to be teaching the things of God and of his kingdom, and the old things are the Hebrew scriptures, and the new things are the things that are now revealed in Jesus, which fulfill the old things. You see, like the rich man whose treasure consists in ancient things and new things, that's what they're going to be. In short, Jesus is promising them that even though the disciples are still somewhat confused now, given time, they're going to understand they're going to be properly trained. And when they are, they will be able to present the treasures and the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven to the whole world. Now, we might expect that this now ends the section. Matthew 11 to 13, a section I've called the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And in essence, it does. After all, as you know, the chapter divisions of our Bible, well, they weren't part of the original Bible. I hope you know that. They're actually added many years later, just so that we can better understand and reference various texts. But I think that Matthew 13, 53 to 58, you know, the end of Matthew 13, makes a nice and fitting conclusion to this section. So let's read it. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, when we began our study of Matthew 11 to 13, we noticed that the passage really is about those who witnessed Jesus' astonishing miracles and heard his amazing message and yet were filled with doubts or were outright antagonistic towards him. John the Baptist wanted to know if Jesus was truly the Messiah. I mean, after all, he was languishing in prison. And the brothers of Jesus, along with his mother, were hearing the astonishing things he was saying, and they simply wanted to take him aside to see if they could get him to, to tone this stuff down a bit. I mean, after all, if he kept talking like this, well, he's going to get himself killed. And then, of course, there are the citizens of Capernaum, and they loved the miracles, but they didn't want to repent. That was asking too much. I mean, Jesus, come, heal our sick but stop bothering our lives, that was their response. And of course, the Pharisees, well, they argued that Jesus was a lawbreaker, someone who disobeyed God. Well then, how do you account for his miracles? Well, their answer was, this was satanic power at work in him. And so when Jesus explained the mysteries of the kingdom, it's his answers to all of these objections. I mean, properly understood, it all makes sense now. But then Matthew wants us to know that just when Jesus has explained himself perfectly, that is, he's done so to his disciples, so that they both understand and they believe, it's still true that when it comes to the wider Jewish world, nothing but nothing has changed. So Jesus has come now to Nazareth, his hometown. And when the townspeople ask, is not this the carpenter's son? We know that what they're really saying is, just who does he think he is? Well, we know who he is. He played in our streets. 
Now, what's fascinating is that if you go ahead two chapters to Matthew 15, 21 to 28, Jesus is then in the Gentile territory of Tyre and Sidon, and he's approached by a Canaanite woman. Her daughter is oppressed by a demon, and she's crying out to Jesus. And then Jesus treats her poorly. He tells her that he will not take the children's food and throw it to their dogs. And the Canaanite woman, rather than being offended and walking away in offense, wants to know from Jesus if there are some crumbs from the children's table that have fallen to the floor that the dogs might have. And Jesus says to her, great is your faith. And he heals her daughter at that moment. See, the point is simple. His own people will not receive him. But this Canaanite woman, whom he has insulted, would yet cling to him because she knows that he has the key to eternal life. And that's the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. In spite of the fact that the kingdom of heaven has come, the reception is so varied. So how about you? Have you responded to the kingdom of heaven? Or do you find it so offensive that Jesus calls you a sinner and demands that you repent and demands ownership of your life? Would you rather just be dragged along and and have something good that comes from his hand? Or do you want to be fully his? That's the question of the kingdom of heaven. And only you, my dear friend, will ever be able to answer it. John, just to reflect back in a moment about the the story you mentioned about the woman who had fallen away from her faith, and 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 you mentioned the fact that you know in essence uh, she never had a faith in the beginning, and but the implications there are more about us as the church than it is about her as someone who fell away. That's a great insight, Ben. I I know that whenever in the Church of the Living Savior we no longer preach the gospel of Jesus. Uh, We don't stress the necessity of genuine repentance for our sins and that conversion is a turning from this world to a turning to Christ and that we listen carefully to a person's testimony and listen to whether or not they have truly got it uh, or whether or not they're just a hardened path that, you know, that the devil comes and sends those those horrible birds of his to pick off the seed so it can't ever plant inside that person's soul. I mean, yeah, we need to be careful that we're actually doing what the Bible tells us to do. So, yeah, bad on us. Thanks so much, John, and thanks for this series, Mysteries of the Kingdom. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. grateful you joined us today for Back to the Bible Canada. We believe faithful Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Neufeld available on this station. We do know, though, that there are times when it's not possible to listen on the radio. So for your convenience, we provide a number of free listening options. Listen online at backtothebible.ca. Sign up for the daily podcast. Subscribe for the free mobile app or check out the weekly Truth and Life Today video broadcast on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. Just a few of the free Bible teaching opportunities available for Canadians and around the globe, but only available because of the passion and generosity of so many across this country. Thanks for all you do. 
Call us today with your support or for ministry information at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.